Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Ritchie. We have a lot on the agenda today, breaking down news of the day. My contributor, attorney at law, the remarkable Adrian Lawrence, TYT contributor and author as well. Top story of the day. You know, the headline that I told you was coming, the headline that said a 10 year old abuse victim mandated to have the child bring the fetus to full term. Let me take it to Ohio. 10 year old rape victim in Ohio was denied an abortion sparking outrage online as many Republican led states strip away reproductive rights following the Supreme Court's overruling of Roe v. Wade. Dr. Caitlin Bernard in Indianapolis received a call last Monday, three days after the court's ruling, three days. She received a call from a child abuse doctor in Ohio who had a 10 year old girl in their office who was six weeks and three days pregnant, which means she was molested. But because of the new Ohio trigger law due to Roe v. Wade being overturned, she was ineligible to receive an abortion in that state according to a report from the Indianapolis Star. So let's go deeper into this madness because remember, those on the right are telling you that this is all about protecting an unborn child. Damn it, it's not an unborn child, it's a fetus. That's what it is, right? There's more. The child, the actual 10 year old living, walking, breathing child, the child, was unable to receive an abortion in Ohio because the state bans the procedure after six weeks when fetal cardiac activity may be detected. Some Republican led states banned abortions at that point, claiming that a heartbeat can be detected within that time frame. Now, I've explained this before. This whole heartbeat bill, jazz coming from the right, uh, inaccurate, not a medical derivative. Totally antithetical to the truth, but they know how to brand it. They brand it really well to make you think, "Oh, wait a minute, that's a heartbeat. Let's call it the heartbeat bill. However, these so-called heartbeat bills or fetal heartbeat bans on abortion have faced criticism from actual medical experts, many of whom argue there is actually no heartbeat in six weeks. Rather, doctors can detect a Flutter, there it is, a flutter in the region where the heart will eventually form. Additionally, many women and girls do not know they are pregnant at that point. 
I had another medical doctor break it down to me this way. They said, listen, when there's pulse or rhythm, that's just a biological dynamic. That's not a heartbeat, okay? Heartbeat actually comes later, the heart is formed later, but that's not the heartbeat. A ban has not taken an effect yet in Indiana, which meant the girl was able to travel, this 10 year old child was able to travel to Dr. Bernard for the procedure. Other information about the child's case is unknown due to her age. Bernard told the star that it's hard to imagine that in a few short weeks, we will have no ability to provide that care. Why? Because the law is changing in Dr. Bernard's state as well. North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein, a Democrat who has been critical of the Supreme Court decision, described laws banning the girl from being able to receive an abortion as, and I quote, insane. Insane. Direct quote from the AG of North Carolina, a 10 year old victim of abuse denied an abortion in Ohio because she was three days past six weeks pregnant. This is insane. She's 10 years old. He tweeted that on Friday night. So let's talk about what Biden can do. Few things here. I'm glad to see that he's open to eliminating the filibuster, simple move by the way. I actually think maybe a couple of Republicans would join him in reference to the carve out. Eliminate the filibuster for the sake of restoring a woman's right to choose right here in this country. The carve out, that's one option. Another option is launch a campaign against the corporations. Corporations who have decided to say no to a woman's right to choose, launch a campaign against those corporations. Encourage every woman, everyone who supports a woman's right to choose to stop shopping with those companies, to stop patronizing those agencies. There's more he could do. He could also create an atmosphere to pass legislation. Overwhelmingly, citizens of this country believe that a woman should have the right to choose. And he could also declare that all federal land, all federal land is now a place allowable for at least one affordable option. Absent from the laws of that state, separate from the laws of that state. And by the way, every state in America has significant federal territory, all right? Now, I know there's pushback on that. People will say, well, what about the Hyde Amendment? What about the Hyde Act? It prohibits this kind of thing from the federal government, not according to the reading of the Hyde Act. The Hyde Amendment effectively prevents federal funding from being used to pay for abortions. That's important to note. You cannot use federal funding to pay for abortions. There's an exception. Via any programs, programs that are administered by the Department of Health and Human Services. So we're talking about a programmatic model. If Biden declared federal territory allowable for the use of a provider that does not violate the language of the Hyde Act. Now remember, what was my first story? A 10 year old has been raped in Ohio. Ohio would basically make her a criminal or the doctor who provided the service to abort the fetus a criminal as well, all right? The amendment, the amendment sponsored by Representative Henry Hyde out of Illinois back in 1976. Remember Roe v. Wade happened in 1973. And although it has never become a permanent law, Congress has renewed it annually ever since, attaching it as a rider to HHS appropriation bills. The only exceptions, think about this, the only exceptions under the Hyde Amendment are cases involving what? Rape and incest or when a mother's life is in danger. My point to you was this, 
If we already had these options on federal territory inside of the states, the Hyde Act itself provides an exception to allow in cases of rape and incest, the child can abort the fetus without penalty, okay? That's what the Hyde Act says. Now, does that get us where we wanna be? Of course not, but it's something. And that something isn't even being done. Adrian, thoughts here. You know, you're absolutely right in terms of that something not being done. The fact is that the federal government and Biden have a lot of power and options available if they wanted to create avenues for individuals and even children to access abortion care, which is health care. But they are not opening those avenues. And the thing is, we just came from an administration where we got to see members of the executive branch essentially bend and manipulate and bastardize the law to the extent they could to achieve the goals that they wanted. So you can't tell me that the Biden administration doesn't have those same avenues and alleys that they're unwilling to simply cross or to be a part of. In part because they're so busy trying to keep up these gentlemen's agreements and this sense of decorum. All while our democracy is being completely and totally unraveled. And we're seeing instances like this where you have a 10 year old child who was raped. Not being able to get care for herself when her body cannot necessarily sustain a pregnancy, nor should it be forced to. Yeah, very well said. Let's go to what happened over the holiday weekend. Another mass shooting, 4th of July. A gunman on a rooftop opened fire. Here's some of the video. Let's put up a picture full of mass of the alleged monster who did this, okay? I got some background, some new insight, new information to share with you that has now become public, known to the public. Independence Day Parade, suburban Chicago on Monday. This mass shooting killed at least six people, wounded at least 30, sending hundreds of marchers, parents with strollers and children fleeing in horror. The person you see, his name is Robert E. Cremo the third, they call him Bobby. He was the shooter, according to the report, who decided to commit to that level of carnage against innocent citizens. He was taken in alive, he was not killed, he was not shot. He was previously, according to the report, an aspiring rapper who made a music video that invoked imagery of school shootings. A music video. His father had previously ran for Highland Park mayor when this happened in 2018. So you have a politically involved family. Republican State Senator Darren Bailey out of Illinois had this to say after the shooting. Getting ready for the Independence Day parade, and it was canceled. Unfortunately, about 20 minutes away from here in Highland Park. There was a shooting, there were uh, several uh, people uh, that we know have been shot. That's all we know. And uh, we're just going to take a moment and uh, pray for the families. Friends, let's pray for the law enforcement and, and even the organizers of this parade. They've done an amazing job. There's a lot of confusion and frustration that the parade's being canceled, but they did the right thing because people's safety has got to come first. Uh, the shooter is still at large, so let's pray for uh, 
justice to it to prevail. And, uh, and then let's move on and let's celebrate, celebrate the independence of this nation. We know the mission. We have got to get corruption and evil out of our government, and we have got to elect women of honor and of courage uh, to, uh, to get this uh, country and this state back on track. You just totally dismissed the fact that you need to get guns out of the hands of mass shooters. But you did offer thoughts and prayers. Put up his picture, Darren Bailey, real piece of work here. All right, uh, Mr. Bailey, let me remind you that July 4th is not a celebration of freedom. It's truly not even a celebration of independence. It's a celebration of an experiment known as America. The white men who founded this nation did not believe in the principles of democracy. Remember, when this nation was founded, when the Declaration of Independence away from the rule of Great Britain was established, black folks were owned by rich white men. Women of all races could not participate. Black folks obviously could not participate in the democracy. Guess what? Most white people could not participate in the democracy because initially in order to run for office or even vote, you had to be a white man who owned property in the country. There's more. In contrast, Governor J.B. Pritzker, Democrat, spoke out in favor of more gun control. The quote is, if you're angry today, I'm here to tell you, be angry, I'm furious. I'm furious that yet more innocent lives were taken by gun violence. And I'm furious that their loved ones are forever broken by what took place today. I'm furious that children and their families have been traumatized. I'm furious that this is happening in communities all across Illinois and America. I'm furious because it does not have to be this way. And yet we as a nation, well, we continue to allow this to happen. There's a quote from the mayor of that city where this mass shooting took place, it has been underreported. The mayor came out and said, listen, I don't have a lot of details, but here's the one detail I do have. The weapon the shooter used was legally obtained, all right? That has not been independently verified by law enforcement according to the information I have thus far, but the mayor did come out and say that. There was another shooting over the weekend that happened in Philly, all right? Two police officers were shot near Philadelphia's Benjamin Franklin Parkway as thousands attended a 4th of July concert and fireworks show Monday night, leading to crowds scattering from the scene. The shooting happened just after 9.45 PM Monday in the 2500 block of Spring Garden as the fireworks display was still underway. A $20,000 reward is being offered for information that leads to the arrest of the armed suspect who wounded two cops during that 4th of July celebration. Here's a scene of the crowd fleeing. So sad because all of this tragedy will not equate to good policy and good legislation from our elected representatives. It simply will not. Adrian, thoughts on this? Well, what I would say is that we definitely, without question, have an issue with guns. Something we we know without without a doubt. The thing that really kind of struck me this weekend, particularly with the Highland Park shooting, is that there were people saying this doesn't happen here. 
why? Why is it happening here? This shouldn't happen here. You know, when you're looking at that suburban area, the median household income is about $150,000. And also, it's almost 90% white. And what that is kind of signaling to me is the thought that this isn't where black people live. So that's a gun problem. That's their problem. This isn't our problem. And the reality is, no, it's very much a white America problem, especially when we look at the demographics of those who are committing these mass shootings with no attachment whatsoever to the people involved, but just want to rage on people and use their access to firearms to create these mass murder situations. And so really when you have these pockets of white America not realizing that this is not only something that happens in their backyard, but often in their own homes, and they can be the ones to stop it and be available for it. That's when there's actually going to be some change. But until they stop thinking that it's an anomaly when it happens to them, there's going to be no change whatsoever. Very well said. Liz Cheney has said it, basically, they are looking to present charges or present a recommendation of charges from the January 6th committee to the Department of Justice. Now, I've talked about this in detail, how the January 6th committee did not want to do this because the DOJ really, they don't want to indict Trump. They're gonna have to, they're gonna have to indict him, period. It has to happen. Uh, Lawrence Tribe. A professor at Harvard Law who taught Attorney General Merrick Garland believes his former student will actually indict former President Donald Trump over the January 6th insurrection. According to the law professor, the evidence is too overwhelming at this point for the Attorney General to ignore. Tribe made the prediction during an interview with Wolf Blitzer days after explosive testimony was delivered during the House Select Committee's latest January 6th hearing. The House Select Committee investigating the attack, the terrorist attack on January 6th, 2021, could make multiple criminal referrals, including of former President Donald Trump, according to Representative Liz Cheney. She said this during an interview on Sunday. So let me bring this home. About three or four weeks ago, the chair of that same committee, a Democrat, came out and said that the committee is not going to make official recommendations to the Department of Justice as it relates to criminal action, okay? Cheney, a Republican, has to bat clean up, go on Twitter and say, in all due respect, Mr. Chairman, we have not made that decision as a body, as a committee. We have not made the decision. Now I've told you this before, the reason why Democrats do not want to be held responsible to the actual law or the criminal elements that may that they may uncover is because the Department of Justice, they don't want to be in the bind, the pickle of indicting a former president of the United States. Why is that? Because they still think once again, there's something very special about the institution of the presidency. And, and what's going to happen once one president gets indicted? Well, maybe more of you all would get indicted, perhaps. That may happen. I can't say that won't happen. Fine, that's less than 1% of the damn population. There's no way in the hell you can justify not doing the right thing because it may impact less than 1% of the population, people that have been presidents of the United States. I just can't go with it, no matter how much I like you. That's the risk you're gonna have to take, President Biden. All right, there's more. 
We'll make a decision as a committee about it, the Wyoming Republican said on ABC News when asked about the prospect of referring Trump for prosecution and saying yes. You asked whether the referral of Trump was possible? The answer is yes, the Justice Department does not have to wait for the committee to make a criminal referral. There could be more than one criminal referral, Cheney said. Good for Cheney, I don't like Cheney's politics at all. I like this though, Cheney's remarks come days after explosive testimony before the panel investigating the attack on the US Capitol from former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Illinois rep Adam Kissinger, the other Republican serving on the committee, besides Cheney told CNN's Dana Bash on Sunday that Cassidy's testimony had, and I quote, been inspiring for a lot of people and that more witnesses have now come forward since her explosive revelations last week, adding, there will be way more information and stay tuned without elaborating further. So this is interesting. We're going to see if this actually results in criminal referrals to the DOJ. If that happens, that puts significant political pressure on the Biden administration by way of the AG's office to actually act upon the evidence that all of us are seeing every day. Lawrence. Uh, Adrian Lawrence, thoughts here. Well, I definitely think that uh, we need the Attorney General to do something about this, particularly just for whatever's left of the sanctity of our nation. As we're seeing with the US Supreme Court, people have absolutely no confidence in it whatsoever. If also the executive branch fails to act and nothing is done, I think it does put us on the course for having some kind of uh, significant change or movement in our nation that will be unpredictable in terms of the outcome. And the reality is that if we're saying we have these laws, if we're saying we have these principles that no one is above the law, we need to actually show it in a way that is very effective and demonstrable. And we should have very swift justice as well as very transparent in order to ensure that the people understand that the laws we have are things that must be followed by everyone. Here's the thing, and you're right, nobody is above the law. The Constitution does not say the president is above the law. Definitely an ex-president has no constitutional protection. But Mueller came out with the report and Mueller basically said, hey, the DOJ told me the guy's above the law. And so I'm limited on what I can do because of a DOJ memo written to protect Nixon. All right, we got more on the other side is indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Thank you for thank you for contacting the show and the show reaching back out to you. Mickey C. The Silverhead Dragon says, wounded more than 30 sounds to innocuous. When it's an assault rifle, the bodily damage is devastating. Those wounds may or not be repairable. Even those who recover will probably have massive disabilities. You're right, absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> Shakita Ganai Beer Dragon, ah, the good old thoughts and prayers gig. Prayers what you do, <clears throat> excuse me, when you have neither the ability nor desire to change the situation at hand. Uh, that's right, That that's, you know, I'm a man of faith, I'm a spiritual man, but I believe that God wants us to do the natural. All right, so we can end up being supernatural, but we have to do the natural. Um, imploded Brandon says, my husband keeps saying, I don't take, I don't, I won't take my family anywhere with larger crowds. Uh, the people are on edge and ready to explode, save it just to stay home. Uh, and it's getting to that for sure. Uh, Portzilla, Adrian, one of our longtime viewers. I think this is a mini 2022. 
uh, would like a shout out for their birthday today. Could you make some dreams come true today? Adrian. Yes. Yes, happy birthday. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. And that it's very exciting and you make plenty of memories. Beautiful. See Michael Henson. Uh, Dr. Richie and Attorney Lawrence should run for the White House in 2024. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know about that. Well, well, you should run for president. Uh, appoint me, what, what would I like to do? Appoint me as Attorney General. I'm gonna lock everybody up. Oh, Lord. Lock them all up. <laughs> all right. Okay. Got something for you. I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're I feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. No, touch me. Calm I'll down. kill you. Calm down. Let her. Calm let down. Her. Let her. in this one runs deep. We have identified this Karen and there is actually a happy ending for those she victimized. Let's put up a picture again, full mass here. All right, first of all, anyone that has that hairstyle in your community, bad things are coming. Let's show the mugshot that we were able to find of this particular Karen, okay? There's a backstory, Indianapolis, a judge ordered a former homeowner on Indy's northwest side to pay more than 225,000 to a neighbor and the Fair Housing Center of Central Indiana, it's called the FHCCI, in a housing discrimination lawsuit. Wow, that's a lot of money. Vicky New, Vicky New, a former resident of the Twin Creek subdivision. In Pike Township, had previously been caught on camera attacking neighbors with a yard sign. She was accused of making racist threats and continually harassing neighbors. She has told me to go back to Mexico, to go back where I came from, said Rios. She tells me on a daily basis, I'm going to kill you. Then neighbor Miguel Rios told 13 News, this was back in 2018. So what do you, what do we know about this Karen? Uh, she has been harassing neighbors for years, okay, according to the reports that we have. So Wednesday, a federal judge had to step in and ordered Miss New to pay a former neighbor $100,000 in punitive damage, $50,000 in compensatory damages. She'll also have to pay the FHCCI more than $37,000 in punitive damages and more than $12,000 in compensatory damages, all right? Additionally, both the neighbor and the housing organization were jointly awarded more than $26,000 uh, $26, in attorney fees and costs. Uh, so, and, and I'm glad we have attorney Adrian Lawrence on the show uh, because she knows better than anyone. Uh, nobody's gonna get any money out of this woman, all right? So let's talk about why, why was it important for the federal judge to step in 
and not only allocate compensatory, but also punitive, which is a punishment. Why do you think this was important for the case? Oh, absolutely, to come in for that compensatory element to make sure that that person feels that they've been made whole. Because the last thing you want is people out there um, taking matters into their own hands. And also for that punitive element, that's also essential too when someone is acting intentionally and with malice to cause harm and to hurt. It wasn't one of those oops that happened, it was oh yeah, this gonna happen. And so for the judge to acknowledge that behavior also goes to helping the plaintiff to feel to be made whole. And the thing is when we have neighbors, it's one of those things that can turn dangerous quickly. And so having the justice system in place where people can go to a member the judiciary to decide who's right, who's wrong, and to allocate these damages in a way to, again, make people whole. It's so incredibly important so people don't turn to using physical violence. Yep. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. I'm an off dirty trooper, you stupid. That's how troopers act. That's how troopers act. Be white. You'll never be white. That's how troopers act. That's how troopers act. Law enforcement don't act like that. Oh, sir, I, I have to disagree with you there, dear brother, on that last statement. Uh, so the white male says that he's an off duty trooper. He also claimed uh, that the other person would never be white, which is accurate. Uh, and he called the person an N word over and over again. We have identified this particular male Karen. Let's put his picture up full mass here, okay? This male Karen has been identified as William J. Ryan, 60 years of age. He was arrested for committing a hate crime. The city of Newburgh Police Department, this is in New York. They have a press release. It says on June 14th, 2022, William J. Ryan, picture below, a 60 year old uh, town of Newburgh resident, was arrested for menacing in the second degree as a hate crime. It's actually a class E felony. This arrest is stemming from a road rage incident. Boom! That's how you handle these white supremacists. I'm giving, I'm giving that police department a round of applause. I'm not anti-police, I am anti-bad police, I'm anti-negligent leadership. I am pro-good police, I'm pro-good leadership. This was good, this was correct, all right? Uh, glad to see the wheels turning in the right direction. That's exactly how I would handle this situation. If I happen to be chief of police, I'm gonna lock your ass up for menacing residents in that way. That's exactly what this police department did. They utilized the statutory dynamic within their code. They applied it accurately and appropriately, and the man is facing justice and possibly will learn a lesson and it not escalate to something even more deadly or dangerous in the future. AB thoughts. I'm glad that the police department did the right thing in this instance. And you know, these folks are getting justice for what happened to them. Um, because like we said, I said earlier, it's just getting out of control. The the Karen, the Karenism is, is out of control completely. Um, and I don't know why people think by claiming they're a police officer, it puts you above disrespecting somebody. You can't, what's the point? Well, that's what they believe. They believe <laughs> that policing protects their white supremacy. And a lot of police officers believe that as well. So it, it, it's not a stretch for an actual white racist person to say, I'm the police. Uh, because to them, the police protect their white nationalism. Well, let's talk about a case of extreme physical violence. A young black male, Jalen Walker, shot 60 times 
by law enforcement. He was not armed during their attack video recently released. Here it is. What you heard was over 90 bullets, 60 of them actually went into the body of this young male who's now dead. Let's put up the picture of Jalen Walker. We're gonna keep his picture up, okay? The body cam footage has now been released. It is graphic. Mr. Walker was 25 years of age. This happened over a routine traffic stop in Ohio, okay? So here's the debate for some on social media. And I've been following this since day one. What led to this? Why did the cops believe their lives were in danger? Okay, so according to the report, the narrative says the officers attempted to pull over Mr. Walker. Okay, this was early Monday for an unspecified traffic and equipment violation. But less than a minute into the pursuit, the sound of a shot was heard from the car. And a transportation department camera captured what appeared to be a muzzle flash coming from the vehicle. That's according to the local police chief, Steve Milet. According to the chief, that changed the nature of the case from a routine traffic stop to now a public safety issue. Now, I want to remind you, this is simply the narrative of the police at the moment, okay? There's more. A few minutes later, the car slowed and Walker emerged from the steel moving vehicle wearing a ski mask and fled on foot according to the police. A handgun, a loaded magazine and a wedding ring were found on the seat and a casing consistent with the weapon was later found at the point where officers believe the shot from the vehicle came from, okay? Now, that's your scene. That's going to be what's called their front leaning narrative to make you ignore the fact that when he was killed, he was unarmed. They don't want you to remember that when he was shot and killed, he had no weapon, he was not a threat to them, he was not armed, okay? After an unsuccessful attempt to use stun devices, and this is important, the foot chase continued to a parking lot at which point All of the bullets can be heard going into the body of Mr. Walker. This is another important point. They used stun guns initially, why? Because they knew he did not pose a life threatening issue for them. Because they would have used guns initially, but they did not. Let me tell you what I think happened here. I think they were upset. I think one or two of those cops were really mad. It only takes one or two of them to shoot and then everybody starts shooting. I think this was get back, get back for what they believe to be a shot at them. Get back for them having to chase somebody, Oh, it happens. Cops have been vengeful when capturing a suspect who made them run. We've reported on those. 
Uh, here's what the police chief looks like. We don't have all of the officers identified yet. That's the chief that continues to back his cops, uh, Stephen Milet. Let me remind everyone, even if there was a criminal act from Mr. Walker, he's innocent or to proven guilty, has the right to due process. This country based on constitutional mandate cannot deprive you of life, cannot deprive you of liberty, cannot deprive you of property without due process. That's how it works here. And just because you may need to see a judge does not mean you have to see your maker that day. That's not how this country works. The man was unarmed, was unarmed when he was killed. Don't lose that fact. Eight officers, seven white, one black, fired more than 90 bullets at Walker, causing more than 60 wounds to his body. Police have yet to explain whether or not he was armed. Why do you think they're not saying anything? The Akron Beacon Journal reported that despite his fatal wounds, cops on the scene, what did they do? They handcuffed Walker while he was on the ground and waited for a medical examiner to show up to pronounce his death. They handcuffed a man that was clearly dead, okay? All right, Walker's death has been officially ruled as a homicide. All eight officers have been put on paid administrative leave. Uh, this is the Walker uh, family attorney. Uh, let's put him up, Bobby DeCello, standing with the family, speaking out about what happened. Okay, DeCello made it known that Walker had no prior convictions and was a good man. He gave no indication he was doing anything wrong before his death. How it got to this with a pursuit is beyond me, the attorney said, adding that Walker's family does not know why he fled from the police. Walker was grieving the recent death of his fiance. But his family had no indication of concern beyond that. He was not a criminal, the attorney says. He was in pain. He did not deserve to die. Now I agree with the family. Now I agree with the family attorney. Um, Adrian, thoughts on this case? You know, it's especially disheartening when you have a young man like Walker, 25 years old, in these circumstances where. You have these officers armed oftentimes with semi-automatic weapons and they just unleash round after round. And as you had noted that officers will often punish people who have been arrested or brought in in some way because they made them run. As we saw last week with the with the individual who was in the back of the car or in the back of the wagon and hitting those brakes all of a sudden. The fact is that we continue to see these instances where people are adjudicated as being guilty or punished in this lawless fashion in some way. And then the police make up these narratives and stories. And when we look at the story here, what we definitely can tell from the Akron Police Department is that it's predominantly white. It's 76% white in terms of the Akron Police Department being white and male, yet White people are only 60% of the population there in Akron. And so when you have this young black man to be murdered to this extent and treated like an animal and handcuffed in the aftermath, you do have to wonder what more is going on here. Because it tells you that there is some disparities in our society, most definitely in there in Akron, and they're playing out to the death of many of us. And let me remind those who will push back once we publish this on social media and other places. They will say, well, Doc, he, he may have shot at the police, okay. For the sake of argument only, for the sake of argument, let's say a weapon fired. All right, we know now that the young man was dealing with the loss of his fiance. Let's say he was in a bad place, okay? Do you think if somebody shot a gun around you and you decided to chase them and shoot them, 
that you would avoid criminal prosecution? Of course not, you would be arrested for murder. Now why are cops allowed immunity when they should be held to a higher standard of responsibility, not a lower one? All right, we got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these comments. Just Be Anti-Racist says, Dr. Richie, you have no idea how much I've missed hearing you say, I wish a Karen would. You've got that swag like that. Well, thank you so much. All right, I do it for you. Mickey C the Silverhead Dragon says, laughing my F and A off. Karen was just video trespassing, destroying private property, issuing death threats and assault and battery. I'm enjoying the hell out of this one. Finally, little Karen has to pay consequences for her actions. That's right, okay, Oh, this is interesting. Uh, Nightmare 316 says, hey, my Nana has that hairstyle. And you know good and damn well your Nana hell. I'm just kidding, I don't know your Nana, all right? I'm sure your Nana's a sweet person. Okay, what if I told you, what if I told you there's a predator sheriff who has been arrested for being predatory against a woman, uh, physically assaulting, sexually assaulting. And he's still the sheriff because he refuses to step down. Put up his mugshot, put up the picture of his mugshot. All right, this is quite fascinating and so damn sad. Vermont sheriff refuses to resign from his position after he was accused and arrested on sexual assault charges. His name is Peter Newton. He's 50 years of age, he's in Addison County. According to the court documents, the sheriff sexually abused an unnamed woman, we're protecting her identity obviously, and allegedly left her with pain and physical bruises, saying no one would believe her if she stepped forward, right? He's the sheriff. If he wanted to knock on my door and come in, he can. No one can stop him, the woman told police according to the affidavit. He's above anyone, I'm afraid. He has access to these guns, he's a predator, the woman said in her statement to the police. This is someone who abuses their power, their position. It's not just him, it's the entire sheriff's department because they knew he used his position to get women. They knew that, this is all part of the record, part of the affidavit. All right, these are the charges and conditions of his arrest outlined in the statement from the Addison County Democratic Legislative Delegation. It says on Tuesday, June 28th, Addison County Sheriff Peter Newton was arrested on charges of sexual assault, unlawful restraint and domestic assault. Late in the day, he was arraigned and released on a $100,000 bond. Conditions of Newton's release included requirements that he not possess firearms and not engage in law enforcement activities. So after he showed up to court last week for his arraignment, right? He said that he would not resign. Despite calls saying, hey, I'm still the sheriff, all right? So he's not gonna go anywhere, according to him. This is Addison County High Bailiff, let's put up the High Bailiff. His name is David Cyberman. So the High Bailiff has called for the resignation of the sheriff saying it was simply impossible for him to serve the community and law enforcement in a law enforcement capacity under those charges. The Addison County Democratic Legislative Delegation also called for his resignation. Here's part of their statement. It says, and I quote, we agree, we agree with High Bailiff Silberman that Mr. Newton cannot 
continue serving under these circumstances, all right? As an individual, Mr. Newton deserves a complete investigation and legal due process. However, as a law enforcement officer, the severity of the charges, circumstances of the allegations and conditions of his release are not conductive to his ability to justly lead the sheriff's office, even in a removed administrative capacity. For the safety of our constituents, the residents of Addison County, we must have a sheriff who is competent and trustworthy. We believe that Mr. Newton's refusal to resign is both unethical and unsafe. If the legislature were in session, we would request that impeachment proceedings begin to formally remove Mr. Newton from office. Well, let me go ahead and since you all don't know the rules, Democratic legislation of Vermont, you all can call a special session to do so. I just wanted to put that out there if you really wanted to have him removed. All right, Adrian, thoughts here. It is always interesting how there are various avenues for achieving something that would be consistent with what they purport to be in terms of democracy, representing people, ensuring that this individual isn't in a leadership position under these circumstances, yet they do not take these avenues. You know, and I definitely don't put the onus necessarily on the sheriff because he has had plenty of examples where we've had leaders in our nation who have raped and sexually assaulted people, yet they've remained in office. And we're essentially seeing a different level of audacity, but this kind of stuff goes back all the way to what global. Grover, Grover Cleveland yeah. uh, back in the late 1800s. So it's it's no shocker here, but it's like that's why we put in these avenues and these mechanisms and opportunities and ways in which we can remove people. So it'd be nice if uh, you know those in positions of power would actually use those mechanisms necessary. And this speaks to the rape culture we talk about in America, where there's this there's this massaging of the details. Uh, there's lip service, but very little action. Everybody's saying the right thing here. Everybody's saying, hey, you gotta resign. But they actually have power and they can do something. They're saying, ah, you know, but if we were just in session, but call an emergency one, you can do that. They're not willing to do it, at least not at this point, and not for the victim and perhaps other victims that may be out there from this sheriff. Let me talk about. A victim that should be highlighted because it is a tragedy and an injustice. What if I said, hey, you know, you can get a life sentence for simple possession of marijuana. You'll say, no way. Yes, a man has a life sentence for 1.5 ounces of marijuana. Let's put up his picture. What state? Mississippi. A Mississippi man will now spend the rest of his life in prison for possessing an ounce and a half of marijuana because of the state's strict sentencing law. Now, I'm going to break down where the sentencing law comes from and who it impacts. The man you're looking at, his name is Alan Russell, 38 years of age, was sentenced to life without parole in 2019 after being found guilty of having 1.54 ounces of marijuana. You know, you can kill somebody and not get life. You do know that. Uh, Rapists don't get life. He has a life sentence for 1.54 ounces of marijuana. So, what was the state's justification for this? You know, they always have a narrative. The simple possession charge would typically lead to a three year sentence in Mississippi, which is already high. Um, But prosecutors decided that's not good enough. They opted to enhance Mr. Russell's charges 
because he has a criminal record. So let's go through his criminal record in detail. Mr. Russell had been convicted of two separate charges. One time a house burglary and one charge of being convicted, being a convicted felon in possession of a firearm. That's according to the reports. Under Mississippi statute, any person with two previous convictions where at least one of those offenses is violent can be sentenced to life in prison without parole if they are convicted of a third felony. Oh, okay, first of all, this is somebody's life and not baseball. So this is their version of three strikes and you're out. So let's look at how ridiculous this rule is. So if you have two felonies, right? One felony is a violent felony. And if you catch another felony, which can be nonviolent, so you can have two nonviolent and one violent felonies, and they can lock you up for the rest of your natural life and say goodbye, right? So that's the rule, that's the game they're playing right here. But when you look and research the charge, his burglary was not violent, nor was his simple possession of a firearm. That wasn't violent either. Let me take you to the dissent. The dissenting judges who ruled in this matter argued that burglary was only considered a violent crime without an actual act of violence after July 1st, 2014. And there was no proof. And Mr. Russell was violent during the burglary. Mr. Russell also participated in a state program that catered to what? Non-violent offenders for the burglary charge. Isn't that interesting? Non-violent, there's more. Here are the stats, this gives you insight as to why Mississippi has this law. Black men make up about 13% of the Mississippi population, okay? Um, out of that 13%, 75% of the people who are in prison on habitual sentences over 20 years are all black men. All right, see where this is going. Uh, Mr. Russell accused prosecutors of violating his Eighth Amendment right to be free from cruel and unusual punishment. Remember, this is 1.5, excuse me, ounces of marijuana. Uh, Mr. Russell and his attorneys argued that the US Supreme Court overturned Jerry Ham's conviction in his 1983 ruling of Solomon versus Ham. The South Dakota man received life in prison without parole for writing a bad check. It was his seventh felony, but the Mississippi Supreme Court contended in its June 16th decision that Mr. Ham was not a violent offender. Once again, nor is Mr. Russell, okay? All right. The six state Supreme Justices ended up holding his life sentence, uh, holding up his life sentence, leading to a deadlock in the appellate court, contending he was a violent offender. The justices agreed that there needs to be current reforms to marijuana laws. However, there's uh, there's been some movement to change the habitual offender laws uh, and modify those laws in Mississippi. What is unfortunate are the laws that put such a presumption against a person that they run afoul to the law in one more way, relatively small, and they're locked away forever for the rest of their lives. It's the death penalty on the installment plan being sent to prison with no hope of release that came from Matt Steffi, who's a law professor, all right? Let me say this, okay? You can, as a judge, it's rarely used, but it's possible. You can set aside a sentence like this in the interest of justice. 
that's still allowable. Not typically done for black people, but it's possible. They could set this aside in the interest of justice, meaning statutorily, Mississippi law codified. Not too much you can do about it. But you know what? We think it's adversarial to justice. We're going to set it aside for that, for that reason. They're not going to do that. They're not going to do it for him. They'll give a lot of lip service, but they won't go that far. All right, Adrian, thoughts on this case? I think you're absolutely right. They will not go that far, even if that's what justice would require. Because unfortunately, we see with a lot of these states that it's the black male population that is imprisoned. Because even though we know that Mississippi is a smaller state, it still has the second highest rate of incarceration across the nation. That's absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that as you mentioned, black male inmates being such a smaller amount of the population at large, yet still being 57% of all inmates in Mississippi. It tells you that this is a business for a lot of these institutions, whether it's private prisons or if it's local prisons as well, because they know they only have to pay the inmates what some $30 a day for their work, and yet they get to continue to exploit them. And this is also something that's one of my soapboxes that I'm on that we are gonna have to watch for increase in prison privatization as a result of this reversal in row. Because there are going to be individuals who are looking to capitalize on all those lives that are going to be forced births mm-hmm. and that they are not yep. gonna be able to be supported. And we definitely, we also know that about 40% of abortions are had by black women. And so this is part of the process in terms of using this new era of slavery to ensure that individuals continue to get locked up. So on point, and once again, you're providing the cause and effect relationship with bad policy and what's coming down the pike. All right, road rage, a Georgia driver decides to shoot at a family. We got that. On the other side is indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Mickey see the Silverhead Dragon. Who pays this sheriff? Question mark. Can he not be fired, arrested, and charged? And he's allowed to refuse to step down. That's the way it works in their state. Uh, Jenny B says, less than two ounces of marijuana gets a life sentence. Unequal application of the laws always seems to lead to people of color getting sentenced far too lo- for too long while white criminals uh, get let off light. It's disgusting, uh, and it is very much so. Okay, uh, Twitch, can we get a factory reset on America? Animal Mother 2021 says, um, hopefully, we're working on it, all right? Okay. Uh, a Georgia driver, all right, this guy ends up shooting point blank at a family, okay? Here it is. Put up this evil SOB who decided to shoot at this family, okay? This is being considered an extreme case of road rage. I think it's attempted murder, he has not been charged with that. His name is Wade McEwen, 61 years of age. He shot at least 14 rounds in another car in an act of road rage. What is he accused of? 
He's accused of blocking victim Jason Daxon, who's 25, from passing him several times. The 61 year old then opened fire on the younger man, deputy said. Uh, let's go to a picture of Jason. All right. Mr. Jason Daxon was shot twice by this person, once in the arm and once in the back. During the exchange, and was taken to a local hospital. He is expected to survive, but had to undergo multiple surgeries. All right. Now, the shooter was reportedly charged with aggravated assault, reckless conduct, and reckless driving. Did you see the video I saw? You saw the video, right? Now, this is in Cherokee County. It's a good old boy county in the state of Georgia. He was charged. Let me read the charge docket one more time. Aggravated assault, reckless conduct, and reckless driving. What you saw on that video was the attempted murder of an entire family, including putting others in danger, including a minor. But he's only charged with aggravated assault, reckless conduct, and reckless driving. Angeline Peterson, the victim's fiance, feels that it went beyond road rage, that it was actually racially motivated. Peterson says she can't understand someone getting angry enough to pull out a gun and fire it through their driver's side window. The man just shot through his own window into Jason's car. He tried to kill him, he tried to kill him, said Peterson. It's not like he was doing anything to antagonize this man. He was just simply trying to pass him on the road and the man would not let him. That's reported by 95.5 WSB. Uh, Daxon, who by the way, is an Emmy nominated songwriter who just signed to a record label in Atlanta, has had to pause all of his activity with the record label. The man has not even been charged with attempted murder. Adrian, am I missing something here? Because if you point your gun and you shoot at somebody and you and 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 the bullets hit, why is he not charged with attempted murder here? I think you've noted the fact already, it's a good old boy county. Because the reality is, is that if you pull out a deadly weapon and you use it, especially multiple times, 14 times it seems to be in this case, you can't tell me that you are not trying to exact deadly force, that you're not trying to take someone's life or to sustain such an injury that life could be taken. So for this man to be charged with these low key offenses that probably even maybe even go up to what potential probation or some lower level offense in some way, it really tells you how they see the victim here. That the victim's life is not worthy of being recognized and acknowledged as being valuable. And it's very scary because we see so many instances of things like this. And this man who is seems to be somewhat murderous out here, he is probably gonna get off in some way with a slap on the wrist based on what he did. And then he's going to do something like this again. And when it hits a white person or when it's a white person who suffers, then someone will do something about it. But the reality is something needs to be done now. Yeah, we're gonna put the pressure on this local jurisdiction to do the right thing by this family, by others that he put in danger as well. We are going to continue to follow this story. The DA needs to upgrade these charges immediately. I will give you an update to this story in a few weeks. Okay, two cops threatened to lock each other up, here it is. 
Inside the city or out here? Oh, just right here. Okay. Uh, pull, uh, so don't pull the go. video at the You get on my traffic stop again, I will arrest I'll, you. Yeah, I'll arrest you right now. Do it, buddy. And we're going to do it. Charges do it. your ignorance. Police on police crime is getting out of hand in this country. Um, this is tearing our communities apart, okay? All right, let me tell you what happened. This is in Georgia. This is, let's put up the pictures of the two guys. I'm gonna go ahead and narrate this. Um, I've been researching this story for the entire weekend. No, I like the back of my hand at this point. Uh, so there's a sergeant, the sergeant is from the city. The city is called Hawassi. The sergeant is recording, okay? The sergeant started to follow a vehicle inside of the city limits. However, once he affected the pullover, he was outside of the city limits and in what's called unincorporated territory where the sheriff reigned supreme and the city police, well, they're not supposed to really have any authority outside of the Hawassi jurisdiction. So the rift between the two officers, one is an actually elected sheriff, his name is Ken Henderson on the right, all right? Intervened in a traffic stop made by Sergeant Tracy James on the left. When Sergeant James handed the traffic citation to the driver, the county sheriff, this is Towns County, the county sheriff asked the driver where he had committed the traffic infraction because now there's there's a jurisdictional issue. The driver's response confirmed what the sheriff suspected. That's when Sergeant James started threatening him with arrest. Now, let me tell you this, there's more information that that's, is needed for the record. According to Towns County, that police department has a quota system and they have been working outside of their jurisdiction in order to meet that quota which the sheriff and the DA have told them stop. And some of the cases are being thrown out once a judge can prove that the pullover of the vehicle happened outside of the jurisdiction. So the Towns County Sheriff's Office and Hawassi Police Department have been in an ongoing dispute over the officers pursuing violators and suspects outside of the city limits. Hawassi is a city in Towns County on Lake Chattooga near the North Carolina border. Sources in both the county and city tell us that the GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation is involved along with the Towns County DA's office. It's not yet clear if those agencies have launched any formal investigation. At the end of that video, when the city officer was saying thank you, thank you and walking away. I actually think the sheriff made unwanted physical contact with the officer and that's why the officer was saying thank you um, as if he now has something that he can possibly hold the sheriff accountable to. Uh, quite fascinating stuff here. All right, Adrian, thoughts on this? I think that this really speaks to kind of the way that our system is set up such that if there was going to be any viable efforts to conduct law enforcement to actually enforce the law that 
really, there's just too many bureaucratic red tape hurdles. I just hope that the citizens are well aware of this because I know I am. I pay attention to where a law enforcement vehicle stops me, where it's located, yep. so that I know it's within its jurisdiction or not because I'll be damned if I have someone pull me over where they don't have jurisdiction and I simply pay that fine. So I really do hope that the citizens who are involved in these unfortunate conflicts between jurisdiction, that they're able to leverage it to their benefit. You know, I had a very interesting opportunity during my municipal law class to actually watch this happen in real time. Where a defense attorney argued jurisdiction on a simple traffic stop. Because the officer could not say for sure that the jurisdiction was proper, the judge kicked it out and said, well, I mean, my hands are tied, what can I do? You cannot conclusively say where this stop happened, which means you cannot prove jurisdiction. So it is important, all right, for the justice system to prove jurisdiction. Okay, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. I can't read them all, um, but we'll read as many as I can. Uh, YouTube, Georgia driver fired multiple shots. All right, Jennifer Smith says, but we guys getting life. There you go, exactly. There you go. Um, two cops threatened to arrest each other. So Kevin Johnson says, got damn it, doc. We can't keep having all this bad news from Georgia's making our state look bad. I know, man, I know. But we trafficking truth over here, all right? It pained me to do this. But that's where the story's led me. It is what it is. Um, all right, and uh, the IT Dragon says, is that video of the two cops threatening to arrest each other, the white cop Spider-Man meme? <laughs> all right, um, fascinating. So let's talk about Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller harassed multiple people internationally. Ezra Miller still on the run from authorities. More victims have stepped forward to share disturbing encounters with the actor. While on filming location, this was Iceland back in 2020. Local bartender said he intervened in two altercations involving Miller. The first was a heated argument between Miller and a male patron that began as a banter, but ended in the actor putting the man in a chokehold and later slapping him. So the bartender broke up the fight. Miller later apologized according to the narrative and the other patron quickly shrugged it off as a joke. The actor was allowed to continue frequenting the bar. Okay, oh, okay, you beat up a patron and you can come back, no problem. You're famous, you're white, you got privilege, Let's let's keep it going. The next altercation with this Hollywood superstar, Miller assaulted a young woman at that bar. Here's the video. Did you want to fight? Is that the deal? Whoa, bro, bro, bro. bro. Did you want to fight? Is that the deal? All right. That same year, Ezra Miller had an encounter with a German woman whose family survived the Holocaust. She told Variety Miller was super nice and super polite until they began to roll a cigarette and she told them they could not smoke inside of her home. That just set him off, Nadia claimed. I asked them to leave about 20 times, maybe more. They started insulting me. I'm a transphobic piece of ish, I'm a Nazi. 
it became so, so stressful for me. They were going around my house, looking at everything, touching everything, spreading tobacco leaves on the floor. It felt disgusting and very intrusive. Also during the 2020, during 2020, threatened a fan who asked for a picture. Here it is. That's an option I present people always. Hi. Always just knock you out and then you won't have to panic. Right, you just gotta knock you Just let me know. Yeah. No, yes? What? Oh, there's more. Let's put up the picture. Currently the parents of uh, Toccata Iron Eyes accused Miller of grooming and brainwashing their daughter for years. Miller first met Takata in 2016 when she was 12 years old and Miller was 23. The parents have been granted a protective order against Miller, but since authorities cannot find Miller, they cannot serve Miller legal papers. This is on top of the multiple arrests they had assaulting people in Hawaii earlier this year, all right? Uh, and that was provided to us by Hawaii police. How does this affect Miller's film career? Okay, let's look at it. As for Miller's future as a movie star, completely intact, it looks like. It's unclear whether they will continue to perform as the Scarlet Speedster in future projects, but Warner Brothers is still committed to releasing the $200 million budgeted tentpole, The Flash, theaters on June, in June 2023. According to sources, With knowledge of the project, the film simply costs too much money for the studio to scrap. And reshooting with a new actor in Miller's role is simply cost prohibitive because the actor is in virtually every scene. All right, Uh, what's gonna happen if they was killing somebody? Okay, because given the trajectory of Miller's life, this is going to happen at some point. This is. I've never seen anything like this. This is more than insane. But significant enablers are connected to all of this. All right, Adrian, thoughts on this? Well, I definitely agree with you uh, that this is going down a bad path and there's probably going to be even more. And so as far as I'm concerned when it comes to business, if Warner Brothers is smart, they need to release that video tomorrow. They should have released it yesterday because the continues to get into trouble. Exactly, if they don't want any more sunken cost and lost, they really need to go ahead and just put this out there, get what money they can and get away from it as soon as possible. I do not know why he's become this menace. I do not know if this was always his persona or if he's doing this method actor into the deep thing. I don't know, but I know that it is problematic, that his career definitely does not look good right now. And for anybody around, I definitely say, you know, seek shelter, get help. All right, we'll see what happens. It's just so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate because you have a person that has a lot of influence, obviously was a rising star, talented in acting, but just horrible, just horrible. And at some point you have to stand up and take some leadership. I'm talking about the studios. This is gonna be bad for your business, I guarantee you. OAN host, all right, One American News. They are telling you the truth about how they do news. Here it is. I'm teaching Gabby how we operate so she knows how to dominate when she goes out there on her own. She's going to do a great job. She's already killing it. We like to target the most outrageous looking people. <laughs> we like, like to stereotype. People. Yes, we stereotype to the fullest extent. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, this one's this person's on one. I'm okay. like, oh, that person looks repulsive, go. 
Yeah, this right wing Karen is known as Allison Steinberg, okay? Uh, Allison is at it again. This time she's passing down her Karenicity lessons to a Karen in training. That's what's happening here. Uh, let's put up a picture. We previously covered um, this individual on a Karen segment when she complained about a pride flag hanging in Hunting Beach, okay? Here it is. Now she already told your strategy is to stereotype, okay? To find these biased and ridiculous positions and create stories out of them. That's what she does. She does not follow truth, she follows her bias. Now, fascinating, she still is at One America News. News, okay? She's literally on the record telling you she does everything but the news. No issue, but OAN, Adrian, thoughts on this. You know, it's just, it gets really annoying seeing all these little Tommy Lahren lights out here <laughs> trying to build their name off of hate and oppressing other people when they just really need to go find a real job and actually develop some serious skills that can actually help our society. Because as of right now, all they're doing is sucking up airspace, they're trending occasionally, but at the end of the day, they really just need to be shut down. Yeah, and this has become the state of American media, they um, are okay with presenting a bias, a narrative that's completely antithetical to truth. Um, and it's quite interesting. So I'm asking my producers, uh, you know, invite these silly billies on my program. I will debate both of them at the same time, the Karen and the Karen in training. Uh, would love to give them proper change and correct the narrative if I can, if uh, it's even possible. All right. Adrian, always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you and check out your great work. Well, you can catch me on Rebel Headquarters, which is on Facebook and YouTube. My segment is Overruled. And also I'm on Twitter at Adrian Law, Instagram at Adrian Lawrence. And you can pick up my book, Staying in the Game, at the TYT shop. All right, okay, I'm gonna do something I haven't done before. You all can follow me on my Twitter. I don't think I've ever told anybody to. At Rashad underscore Richie, at Rashad underscore Richie, that's Twitter and the gram. All right, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Don't forget the conversation next. <laughs>